0: You don't ever want to, as a, as a preacher, you don't ever want to allow too much of what goes on out there, you know, to affect what what you say on, a, on in a sermon. You don't want to, to shoehorn in things that maybe don't, aren't found in the text that you're preaching through, and that's, that's you do you want to read into a text, uh, that's, that's not good. I'm going to do my best and, uh, to not do that this afternoon. Um, I don't think I will, because I do think that as I, you know, I kind of was sort of proud of myself for having my sermon as done as it was uh, Thursday morning and just sort of sitting back going, all right, easy streets for the rest of the week. Um, and so, and then Thursday afternoon happened with our, our flood and everything, and so I felt like something need, needed to be said, and so looking back at the, in the sermon, um, there is room in here for me to say a few things about it, so I hope you'll, I hope it'll, the Lord will use that. And I'll just kind of all that to say. I hope the Lord uses that in this text that we are naturally in. This is just sort of where we are. We're in Mark chapter eleven um, as we're studying through the book of Mark. I hope that the Lord will just kind of use that to encourage us this afternoon. Uh, this text, um, Jesus. This is the the triumphal entry. Normally, you know, I'm about five weeks early on this one, but this is where the Lord has in the in the book of Mark. Uh, normally we would preach this on Palm Sunday. Um, I've got something else planned for Palm Sunday in terms of the sermon. So here's where we are, the triumphal entry, Jesus coming in to the city of Jerusalem. As you know, his face has been set like a flint, is kind of what we've been saying, just... This, this, this determination that Jesus has to now go to Jerusalem and fulfill his mission. He has is, he is come as as he is the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The first part of Mark has been about him being the servant of all, and now we're at the, the sacrifice, the sacrificial part of Jesus' mission. Okay. All that's the setup, right? It kind of got me thinking, as I read in the text, about one of my favorite YouTube songs uh, that was recorded right here in Memphis, actually, with B.B. King, um, and if you know your YouTube, you know what song I'm talking about, When Love Comes to Town, right? It's, it was recorded at Sun Studios, and, you know, B.B. was was in it, and uh, it's, it's kind of like, it kind of tells a little bit of, of what life was like for the singer before love came to town. And it's kind of a way of talking, kind of Bono's way of talking about salvation, right? Sort of almost without talking about salvation. So he's kind of talking about what life was like before salvation versus what it was like after love came to town, right? And that there's a line that's sort of sort of repeated throughout the song where he says, you know, I did what I did before love came to town. Like, terrible theology. Like, I'm not recommending this as a, as a source of systematic theology, but it's a great song, and uh, I really, really enjoy it. I like it, but it's most important in Memphis. But, I mean, you get where I'm going with this, right? Like, Jesus is coming to town in, in Jerusalem, and love, like, he is the very embodiment of love for his people, God's love for his people, and love is coming to Jerusalem town. Jesus is, he's the Lord of all. I mean, to say that love is coming to town is not some kind of trite, silly sort of sentimentalism. He's the Lord of all. And now he is revealing himself to be the sacrificial uh, prophet, priest, and king of all. So that's how I want us to look at the text this afternoon that Jesus, the king, comes to town, Jesus, the prophet, comes to town. And Jesus the priest comes to town. So let's look at, at Mark chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1, going through verse 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them Go to the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has needed it. I will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them that what Jesus has said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. And threw their cloaks on it. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've kind of broken it down. Jesus the king comes to town. Jesus the prophet comes to town. Jesus the priest comes to town. Let's look at Jesus the King as he as is coming to Jerusalem. This this is this is kind of a shift in Jesus's modus operando or operandi or operandi. I don't know. This is a shift in what Jesus normally does and how he normally behaves and what he what his normal method of of operation is. Right? Because up until now, has he been telling people to do when when he casts out demons and when he heals them or when he when he does something miraculous like that to them, what has he been telling them to do or not to do, rather? He's been telling them, hey, don't say anything. Uh, Go and tell no one. And he's been doing this in like fairly strong terms. He strictly charged them not to say anything, right? And so, now it's sort of different. He has been dodging crowds, escaping crowds, getting in boats, trying to get away from crowds, going to a long, dangerous sailing trips across stormy seas to get away from crowds, or walking on water to get away from crowds. And crowds have been, in Mark, crowds kind of represent almost as much of a hindrance as they do in opportunity. And we've seen that as we've studied through Mark. But now, what is he doing? He's coming into the city openly. He is, he is coming openly, embracing this public image, in his identity as the Messiah, and now he allows the crowds to sweep him up as they kind of always wanted to do—to sweep him up and to, to to cheer him and to proclaim him the king and treat him like the king that he really is. Because I mean, he is the king, right? He really is the king that has come to Jerusalem. And there's there's just a whole lot in this text. That points us to Jesus as the king. Uh, first of all, is that Jesus is in complete control of the situation. Uh, we can see that in verses 1 through 3. So when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the village in front of you, and immediately you will enter it and find a cold tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say to them, The Lord has need of it. Jesus is sovereign over the situation. Like he is, he is sovereign over the situation. He is the king on a level that just rises above all other kings. Like no other king can know the things that Jesus knows. We'll talk about why in, in, his, in another role just in just a minute. Nobody else can know the things that Jesus knows unless they were sovereign over everything that is going on in the universe. And he tells them. He tells them where to find the gold, and he tells them what to say, and it works out just like he said, right? So he's, he's in complete control. Second, Jesus proclaimed who he was and what he was like by choosing a donkey. The, the mode of transportation here is, is of course, significant. And it's, it's important in what Jesus is saying about himself in choosing, in choosing the, the ride on the colt of a donkey, a like young donkey, we, we've kind of been conditioned by movies and books and entertainment to, to think of prophecies as something which, if they're not fulfilled in complete secret and surprise, like in other words, if the people about the prophecies don't all of a sudden go, oh, the prophecy just got fulfilled, and they're totally shocked by it, and it's this kind of like plot twist, then it's not really a prophecy. It is not fulfilled almost by accident. So it goes something like this. We find out at the end of the movie that the, the big bad evil guy actually caused the chosen one to appear by killing the chosen one's parents, which it was an attempt to keep the chosen one from appearing. And everyone goes, oh, like, oh, the prophecy came true, but we didn't even know it. Like, that's how we're conditioned to think about prophecy, right? That if, if it's not a plot twist, it didn't happen. Um, but here, what is Jesus doing? He is intentionally fulfilling a prophecy, like he knows the prophecy of Zechariah nine nine, which says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he humble and mounted on a donkey." on the colt the foal of the donkey that that Jesus is coming to town as king in fulfillment of this prophecy about the king and his conscious choice of the donkey identifies him as the promised savior king of God he, he is intentionally fulfilling this prophecy about the messiah because he is the messiah It says, Behold, your king is coming to you. But it tells who Jesus is, the the donkey does. The donkey tells who Jesus is, that he is the king. But it also tells what Jesus is like. It tells us something of his character. It tells us something of his mission as well. His choice of, of donkey is a way of Jesus saying, He's coming to town humbly. Like it, it, you might think it takes some, some kind of nerve or some sort of inflated sense of oneself to, to declare oneself the king, but here Jesus does it, and he does it because he is the king, that is who he is, but he does it humbly because that is also who he is. And the, the choice of a donkey is, is humble, and mounted on a donkey is what the prophecy says in Zechariah. Because people are used to kings coming to their capital cities, like that a that is a thing that people saw happen in those days. And they would come, pagan kings would come, and emperors would come in on these, these charging war horses, right? Uh with, with all of this pomp and circumstance. They'd be they'd be flanked by their armies with, with drawn swords and fanfares and the spoils of war coming in behind them and all of this this these trappings and the splendor of it. Um, like I kinda got into that show the crown, like about about the queen I, like I actually got kind of fascinated with the Queen of England for for a little while. It was a little weird. But um the, the crown, like everywhere the Queen went, like, and everywhere she goes, there's Sarah. Like there's some sort of entourage at least. There's reception lines, there's there's dignitaries, there's there's but especially like at the big events like official visits and and uh, coronations and weddings and those sorts of things. But all of those trappings and all that fanfare and all that hoopla that kind of goes around royalty is intended to do what? To show power. To show dignity. To show station. To show stability, right? Jesus enters on a red carpet here. Of the cloaks of the crowd and the chanting of hosanna and the singing of a song but he does it on a dog the king is coming humbly but he's being identified as the king verses 9 and 10 and those who went before and those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest Jesus comes as the king bringing peace. Right? Another prophet, Isaiah, calls him what? The prince of peace, right? And then when Jesus was born and the angels appeared, and, and they say, you know, that they declared on earth peace among those with whom he has pleased. Like and Jesus is the peacemaking king who gives rest to his people. He's coming to town to win a victory. But it will be a victory that is won by his ultimate surrender to the righteous judgment of our holy God for the sins of his people. This is our kingdom. This is our kingdom. We follow him. Let him give you his love, his joy, his peace. Jesus, the, the king comes to town, but also Jesus, the prophet, comes to town. The king is also the prophet uh, who called come and call the people to himself. Mark's account is like Mark, like we've been saying as we go on, very snappy, very pithy, very sort of bam, 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 moves from one thing to another. Not a ton of details, and, and Jesus has has been has shown himself to be a prophet. Uh, already in this text by describing the cult and where he would find it and who's going to say what and how it was going to be and it certainly was. But also other Gospels uh, you know, highlight Jesus' prophetic calling of Jerusalem to, to a deeper understanding of who he really is. So we're going we're gonna to look at Luke here for just a minute, in just a few minutes. But even in the middle of all their shouting, even in the middle of all their celebration and declaring Jesus King and singing these psalms and and all of this stuff, Jesus calls the people to a deeper understanding of who he really is. So understand that where Jesus starts off, the top of the Mount of Olives, you can actually look down and see the whole city of Jerusalem sort of spread out before you. And that's where, where Jesus is standing as he starts off and and that's where Jesus is in what it says in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, Bethphage, uh, and Bethany, the Mount of Olives. But Luke gives us more detail here in Luke 19. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus the King is also the prophet who laments over the lost hearts of people verses 9 and 10. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest. You know what they're shouting, right? They're shouting, oh save us. Save us. They're shouting, maybe they're even singing the words of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're proclaiming the coming of the messianic kingdom of David. This may have even been, there may have even been sort of an antiphonal call and response thing going on here, some scholars think. There may have been group one shouting, Hosanna, and then further down the road, group two shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And group one echoes back, Hosanna in the highest. All of this is going on all around Jesus. They're proclaiming him, and in one sense, they're right. But Luke says that Jesus wept over the city because they, on that day, were missing the things that make for peace. Even as they're shouting these things, they're missing the things that make for peace. They're shouting to be saved. They're shouting to be rescued and delivered. They're shouting that that a day, uh, that, 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 that he's weeping because the day of everything but peace was coming A terrible day of desolation for Jerusalem. And Jesus' sorrow is this prophetic revelation of the heart of God for the lost hearts of his people. His weeping, his lamenting, his tears are not just for the sins of his people, but his tears are for the peace and reconciliation with God that their failure to receive Jesus as Messiah and Savior causes them to miss. The heart of Jesus' mission is not atonement. Atonement is not the what of his mission. Atonement is the how of his mission. But it's the restoration of a broken relationship between a holy God and a sinful people and his death on the cross, his righteous life, the atonement, and the victory that he wins on the cross, that is how that is accomplished. The restoration of Eden peace between an all-loving God and the men and women he created. That's his mission. The reestablishment of the complete joy that creatures find in their perfect creator. That's his mission. Jesus is the King of peace. He's also the prophet of peace. And he comes to be the priest who brings that peace about by giving his life as a ransom So Jesus the king comes to town, Jesus the prophet comes to town and then finally Jesus the priest comes to town The cries of the people are, are deeper than they think Hosanna Save us, save and when they said that, when they were shouting, oh, save us, what did they want to be saved from? They wanted to be saved from the oppression of Roman rule. And, and they were doing this all at a time when the Passover was, was just beginning. But the Passover week was, was happening, and the Passover reminded the people of Israel of what? Of God's salvation from the oppressive rule of the Egyptians. Through the plagues and finally culminating in, in the angel of death killing the firstborn in all of Egypt except those who had the lamb's blood paint, painted on their doorposts. This is Passover. And here's this guy who seems, by all accounts, to be the Messiah, to be the coming king, the son of David, to, to set up his kingdom. What kind of kingdom is he going to set up? Surely he's going to set up. Like, surely the coincidence can't be, it's too great, right? Surely he's going to come and deliver us from this oppressive political rule of Romans uh, in our our city and in our country, right? But they're proclaiming the truth without understanding the truth. Jesus has come to save, and save completely. He has come to, to free them from oppression. But it's the oppression of sin and death and curse and fall that he's come to save them from. Jesus has come to establish his kingdom, but it's not a, it's not a fleeting political earthly kingdom. It's, a, it's an eternal heavenly kingdom with, with him in the very center of it. As the king, he's come as priest now to offer himself as the sacrifice of which will accomplish all of this. And where does it go? When he gets into the city, as he's marching down the street, he's riding down the street with the donkey, and the people are shouting and singing and waving branches and putting cloaks on the ground, and he's making this procession through the city in the middle of all this chaotic declaration of who he is, where does it go? Verse 11. He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The sovereign king and the incarnate word is becoming the suffering sacrifice to his people. That is what is happening. When I, when I got the text Thursday and, and saw the, the pictures of our our church, um, my heart crashed. And it was one of those times you sort of have to sit back and I just need to take a minute. And let my mind, and my eyes were even having trouble processing to my brain what I was seeing because of the reflection in the water and the way it sort of mirrored everything. It, it just was unreal it was strange It was one of those moments of, of speechlessness uh, and it's it's kind of good that that day the growth just it was they were still pretty terrible and it, it was good that the, it took no, longer than normal to get to the church because that gave me more time in the process but getting to the church itself was was almost a relief and it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like getting to the hospital when you get the call from school that your kid fell and broke his arm. And you, you, you meet them at the hospital, right? And there you see everything is okay. And your kid is there. And it's just good to be with them and be in that place. And There was a sense, too, that this is God's will for us. This is what God has for our church right now. And that no matter what, everything will be okay. And the thing that I went back to was 1045 in Mark. You the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, our priest, came to give his life as a ransom for many. Many what? Church buildings, Sunday school rooms, offices, fellowship halls, books, guitars, swords, or a disturbingly large number of swords in our church. (laughs) (laughs) Not disturbing. (laughs) Jesus, our suffering priest, didn't die for the things that house our programs and ministries. He didn't even die for our programs and ministries those are just some of the activities that we engage in as we pursue our mission which comes from our identity in christ our suffering priest died came into jerusalem on a donkey humble and went to the temple because he was going to die for the people so that we might have this identity that is rooted in his love and mercy for us. Our church building only exists, has only ever existed to point us to Jesus. That's its purpose. And it can do that in times of destruction and water damage as well as being the place that that houses the people of God each and every Sunday morning. Jesus is the suffering priest of his people, not their stuff. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5 says, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus enters Jerusalem and he goes straight to the church building and he looks around and he sees all the damage that sin is causing in the hearts of his people. And then he heads straight back out of the city. Because his mission is to save a people through his suffering and death. And his dwelling will be in the hearts of those that he ransoms. And he ransoms us from the fierce and just wrath of God for sin. that's what he accomplishes on the cross. He is giving his life as a ransom so that we might pay the debt that a righteous and holy God demands that our sin pay. And by his suffering and death on the cross, by the priest going to the temple and making himself a sacrifice for his people, he pays the debt that we owe because of our sin. And by his righteous living, He fills up the requirement of God's law, which we have fallen short of. And he does it all so that you and me, his people, can be built up into a permanent and lasting and enduring and eternal dwelling for himself and his spirit. We look to Jesus to build us up as his people. This last year has felt like more tearing down than building up. This week was just kind of the capstone on on all of that. So let's ask ourselves these questions. This question: What idols of your heart are on His demolition plan? Here's some of mine: to be the cool church pastor. I know you say. Accomplished, but it's still not. It. To be a big church pastor, you know? to be the well-oiled machine church pastor, that'll never happen. But what he's showing me is that who I am is the broken church pastor. Like, because you're a broken church and I'm a pastor, but also because I'm a broken pastor. He's saying to me, and he's teaching me, love these people, love these people, right here, right now. He's teaching me that my image does not equal my effectiveness. Stumble through, (laughs) stumble through the activity that flows out of an identity that's founded and rooted and based in Christ, but that's where your identity is, it's in Jesus. It's not in anything else. Stumble through because that identity is rock solid. Even as you determine and decide and discover that you are not. That's some of the things he's showing you. What is he showing you? That you're a broken mom, dad, husband, wife, son, daughter. I hope that he's showing you that you're a loved sinner. Because of your suffering priest, Jesus. I hope he's showing you that your calling is to love as you have been loved. Your calling isn't to win anything. Your calling isn't to advance anything. Your calling isn't to advance your agenda for your family, for your career, for your country, for your church. I hope he's showing you that your agenda is set by Jesus. Who came not to be served, but to serve, who came to give his life as a ransom for many? That your identity doesn't come from your, your image of competence or professionalism or intelligence or or reputation or any of those things, that it comes from Jesus' love for you. So let me challenge us in this to watch. Watch. Watch over the next few weeks and months and listen. Listen for what the Lord is teaching us through this time as a church. Pray with your kids through this. Direct their eyes and their gaze towards the ways that God is providing for our church and the way that God has taken care of us, the way that He has taken care of us throughout this last year. Point your kids back to Jesus. That's why we have a church building. Is to point us to Jesus. Officers. You have a front row seat. The way that other church members don't. Watch. Listen. Pray. Listen for what the Lord is, is teaching us. Be encouraged. In your calling as an officer. And then officers pray for your people like never before and people join your officers in that. join us together as we we pray for our churches we pray for our city as we pray for our country in all of these things but remember this saints of GCC Jesus your King prophet, your priest loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how deep, how wide, how broad, how vast is your love for your people? We we haven't even begun to find out. We don't know. You are showing us more and more by the things that we go through in life. The hard things, the good things, the, the everyday, nitty-gritty, the things. drunk things. Lord, you are present in all of them. And all of them are designed to make us more like Jesus if we are indeed in Him. Lord, thank you that, that the struggle makes sense only in the context of your love for your people. Lord, thank you that we We have access to your throne in prayer. Thank you that we have access to our high priest in in prayer and our king in prayer and the embodied word of God in prayer. Lord, help us to take more advantage of that. Lord, I ask that you would show us more and more of your love through this time as we walk through it together as your people. Lord, thank you for calling us together. Thank you for binding us together as a church family. Pray that you would strengthen that calling and that binding and those those relationships throughout this, this time. Lord, you are doing this on purpose. You are in control. We trust you because we know you're good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.